Hi guys, welcome back to Intern Investing. I'm Connor, joined by Jamie and Zane today. Excited for this episode. We've got a lot of good stuff to talk about. We're talking about um, CPI. The results came out last week. We are talking about um, you know where we would invest a thousand dollars right now. That's going to be a topic for today's episode. C limited earnings. And if we've got some time, we're going to talk about a few more topics, but we'll see if we can get to those at the end of today's episode. But I want to remind you guys, if you're watching this video on YouTube, definitely go check out our podcast. And if you're listening to us on Apple or Spotify or Amazon, great, you're already there. Um, But we definitely want to drive some of our viewers over to our podcast platform. That would be great. We are on all platforms, so definitely go check us out there. Leave us um, a review. If you're on Spotify, please leave us a review. We don't have many over on that platform. That would be great. Help us out a lot. That's the best way to grow our channel. And if you are listening to us, definitely check us out on YouTube um, as well because we're doing a Why I Own series where every single week we bring on a different um, different analysts from The Motley Fool, and they talk about all the stocks that they own and why they own each individual stock. So that's really cool. It's five, 10-minute videos, and they talk about their their overall thesis for each company. Uh, but but how are you guys doing today? Sorry, that was a long intro. Sorry, right, we're good. We're good. Let's talk ready, about to, some... ready to talk about some stocks. Yeah, and some inflation to kick it off, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, CPI, it was down slightly month over month. This was primarily driven by lower energy prices and I think harder comps as well, or I guess, yeah, harder comps um, year over year. So if you, if you look at inflation, yeah, it was down slightly, but around August of 2021 was actually when we started to see an uptick in CPI last year. So if you see the year over year numbers, they're going to look a little bit better from here on out. So, you know, is inflation really falling? It's not falling, um, but year over year, the numbers are going to look a lot better moving forward. Um, And we are seeing a lot of lower energy prices, which is good. So, you know, I think that's, um, well, I think we got to go back to our prediction. Zane, I'm not sure if you were here for this prediction. This is a few months back. We were talking about what is the ceiling on gas prices? And we were, and I said that we are going to see a national average of like seven to $8 a gallon. I was extremely pessimistic. Or maybe and I, and I crushed that expectation. I took the yeah, under absolutely. on that. And I was so right, Connor, because what? The, the national average didn't get above $5 or something like that, right? I think it hit $5, and that was it. That was and, now like it the, and now it's and below $4. Yep, yep. Yeah. So you took that one away. Zane, were you here for that guess? Oh, yeah, I was there for that, but I just didn't weigh in. I was like, I'm going to yeah. lose. I mean, this, is, this is something I have no way of predicting, so... Okay. Well, I think that's our first prediction that we've actually come back to because we've made a bunch of predictions up until this point um, for a variety of different topics. And that's the first one that we can look back and say, okay, Jamie, you're the winner. Um, well, it's, the, so it's the first congrats. one that we've looked back on publicly on the podcast or sometimes we're like, <laughs> wow, we, we made that recommendation? And then there's like, <laughs> sometimes we're like, wow, like that was actually really good. So maybe we should revisit some more, but... Keep ourselves accountable. And we don't. We don't want to revisit our video on Teladoc. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a rough. That's a rough. That's a good example. That's a good example. So, 
Yeah, but I think that sums everything up from the inflation standpoint. Uh, definitely want to talk about that one as a major headline last week. Uh, but I don't think the numbers say the whole story because of those tough times year over year. So you might see headlines, inflation is falling, but really it's not falling. It's yeah. just maintaining that level. Uh, although, be, What I'd be most interested in see in terms of like a gauge on where inflation is going is what are, what are business leaders saying? Because they actually have a sense of what the supply chain is like. I think we saw a tweet from Elon Musk commenting that, like, hey, you know, prices aren't going up as fast or they're starting to decline and kind of making note, like maybe this is, maybe this is peak inflation. So I'm interested to kind of do more research and see what businesses, business leaders think rather than, you know, politicians or, or economists for the most part. Well, what's, yep. what's really interesting Zane is, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at a lot of e-commerce stocks and there was one e-commerce company, um, global E just reported earnings, um, to, maybe even today, uh, but w within this week. And they basically said that demand is continuing to pick up for, for their platform. You know, um, they, they facilitate yeah, international e-commerce. And so the demand for, for transactions for some of their customers still continuing to grow at really rapid rates. And the same thing for Visa and MasterCard. I think we've gone over this, um, you know, from a few weeks ago, but Visa basically said on their conference call that based on spending habits from their customers, they're not seeing any any signs of a recession or anything like that. So um, mm -hmm. in, 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 is that indicative of inflation? I'm not sure, but I think it is in, kind of indicative uh, in, in showing that the, the macro uh, economic environment might not be as dire as a lot of people are thinking because we're seeing a lot of companies kind of blow estimates out of the water when they're expecting uh, the worst. And, and they're, they're clearly not being impacted that much. And their outlooks for the, for the future are actually looking pretty bright, too. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how Visa might be a better metric to look at and like Visa transactions is a better metric to measure inflation than consumer spending because consumer spending looks like it's continuing to go up. But a large part of that is due to inflation. You know, if you're spending $10 on product A last year and you're spending $15 on product A, the same thing this year, consumer spending is going to go up. Uh, because of that inflation. But Visa's transactions per user have actually been c continuing to go up. So I think that's a stronger sign, uh, you know, when you're looking at the consumer versus just overall consumer spending. Yeah. And, you know, what could be interesting, too, is like looking at maybe is inflation actually worse than we're thinking um, because we're just getting less for the money that we're spending. If, if that makes sense, like I forget what what the word for it was. It was like maybe sizeflation or something like that. Like instead of reducing or instead of increasing prices, companies will just sell less of the product. It's called shrinkflation, Zane. Shrinkflation, shrinkflation yeah, right. that's right. Gatorade yeah. has done it big time. Really? And yeah, they've got like that. Their thirty-two ounce drink is 28 ounces now i i saw that the other day and i was thinking about that caught so so has creatine um I, I i noticed i actually went and bought creatine just a few days ago first of all the prices have gone through the freaking roof like a year ago you could buy like 100 servings for like 15 dollars. now it costs 50 freaking dollars which is crazy mm. But they, it, it used to be like 104 servings or something for, for a tub, and now it's only 102. So it's very, I mean, very slowly going down. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's happening everywhere. Gatorade, um, Lay's does the same exact thing. Most yeah, consumer Lay's packaged goods companies. Years. Oh, they, and they've never stopped. That's been something that they've been doing for years, if not decades, I mean. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have like two chips in the Lay's <laughs> Yeah. 
So, so I'm hearing that uh, Jamie would put his one thousand dollars in creatine. Whoever makes them, or whoever makes um, them. Yeah, 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 probably. I mean, it's 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 a need to have good for any for any uh, you know gym goer, really. So you think so? Yeah, you're still you're still you're still buying. There's pricing power there. But yeah, yeah. move us right on to uh, where are you going to put a thousand dollars right now? Because I think it's. I was reading this Bloomberg article earlier this week, and, and it was a variety of different investment professionals, and they were talking about where they would advise that you invest your money. Some people were saying stocks. Um, some people were saying large cap specifically, small cap, leveraged crypto. Crypto, um, you know, I-bonds is a place that a lot of people are promoting, but uh, you can only invest $10,000 in I-bonds, which I-bonds, for those that don't know, are inflation bonds. Um, they keep up with the pace of inflation. So if the I think it's reset every six months um, is, is when the, the updates happen. So right now, I think they're around 9% annually, which is pretty solid for a bond. But when inflation's at 9%, it's really not that great. So, um, But anyways, yeah, Jamie, where are you putting 1000 bucks right now? Well, I mean, I'm. It, it's going to have to be in stocks. Where I mean, we're an investing show. Uh, we, you know, all of my, you know, personal savings is in uh, is in stocks and, and investment um, in ETFs or something like that. That. So if I'm going real broad, I'm going to go stocks. If I have to, uh, if if I have to be pushed to more specific, probably just a standard S and P index fund. Although I I, I do certainly like uh, some specific companies that I think are executing right now. But if I was just given a thousand bucks. Um, it, 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 without thought, it would just go into a, a, an S and P 500 tracker. All right. You're 70 years old and, um, <laughs> you're trying to protect your portfolio because you just entered retirement and you're worried about the markets. Where are you putting your money then? Honestly, man, still probably going to an S and P index fund. I mean, depending on how long I'm going to hold it, but I mean, even if I'm 70, no, I, I'd, I'd still probably put it in index fund that or just cash. I know it's a, it's a, it isn't the smart thing to do, but personally, when, when I know I need money, um, you know, in the next three years, I'd rather have it in cash than anything else. Um, even if it might not be the necessarily the best idea to do, maybe putting it in bonds or something that generates some sort of return. Um, I, that's not my cup of tea when it when it comes to short term, um, you know, cash I'll need on hand. So it's just you know sitting under my pillow, I guess. Zane, well, I mean, better to lose like eight or nine percent in cash than you know get my portfolio's performance over the past year. <laughs> but I would, you know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go out there a little bit and say I would maybe not go into specs, but like I definitely want to look more into specs because I'm seeing so much institutional interest and people that I would think of as smart money for sure um, have been talking about SPACs because there's some that you can get trading at less than cash or around cash. And in that case, you know, you can use it as kind of like just just cash and just kind of like a cash investment vehicle. But with the, the potential upside of either returning to the the level of cash that it has or getting some kind of multiple on that um, or actually, you know, making a great acquisition and becoming a good company. So I don't know. I, I kind of view them differently now. I think a while back it was like, don't mess with SPACs. They're so risky. But I feel like there's definitely some opportunity there and there's been some interesting ones like 
and this kind of leads into another another thing I would invest in right now. So if we're talking about stocks, I'm really I've been talking about this company for a long time, but I really still like STEM Energy. And so it's an energy storage company that makes software instead of the batteries. Um, but super important, and there's so much, there's so many positive indicators for this company. Let's see, they're talk, talk about the talk about the main problem in the energy space. Saying, or, or I'll I'll simply say this real quick. So the main problem right now is you can collect energy from solar, you can collect energy from wind, you can collect energy from coal. Issue is, what if the sun's not shining, and what if the wind ain't blowing? Well, where are you going to get your energy from if you're trying to get it, um, you know, in a carbon neutral way? Because you can't have wind and you can't have solar. Best thing right. to do is to be able to store that energy and deploy it strategically um, through STEM's battery system yeah. with their Athena software. Exactly. Exactly. Well said. Uh, now they also have also energy, which helps them do the monitoring of the solar assets. But uh, there, there's that, and then there's this whole push to renewables. Now it's in the legislation, uh, which I'll get to more. But here we have insane growth on the backlog, the pipeline, the revenue. And this was a SPAC, um, so kind of linking those two ideas together, that has actually executed on all of the long-term goals that they've set out. So I think of them uh, in a different light and in a, in a really good light because of that. Um, the other thing is you have companies like Tesla and their their energy component has never been super popular and never been a huge selling point, except to like the most diehard uh, Tesla fans, I think. Uh, but they just had their rec a record quarter for solar deployments. Uh, so that's looking good. Um, solar and wind generating capacity has now overtaken that of nuclear. So and it's been a smooth curve up. I actually want to share that as well. Uh, I just think the market doesn't get enough credit because um, oil and gas has been kind of the talk recently. Let me see if I can find this. You know, I, to I totally, so STEM is one of those companies that I really like. It's a, it's a SPAC that I actually like. And I think I own a, I, I think I own a few companies that came public through SPAC and yet STEM is is not one of them. Um, I've thought about buying this company over and over again. I don't know why I haven't. They have a strong balance sheet, really cool mm -hmm. mission um, in in high demand for sure. So what, what yeah. are you sharing on your screen? Make sure make sure you describe it. So everyone yeah, this is just total energy generating capacity of uh, of nuclear versus wind and solar. So I mean, people, I think there's, there's totally a reason to have both. Uh, but wind and solar is just being growing. I think it's it's, it's obvious at this point that it will eventually be the primary source of energy generation. I think that's super cool. But now we have, this is like my rant on, on uh, energy storage and pitching um, on pitching STEM as well. But we have companies like Enphase Energy that makes uh, solar products like solar inverters that year to date is, is up 60%. So meanwhile, you know, all this talk about oil and it's and it's doing really well and the price is going through the roof, Exxon minting so much money. Uh, but in the same time, renewable energy companies can be doing so well. Enphase is a great example up 60 percent. Um, it's not mutually exclusive, I would say. Um, with you know, costs continuing. Well, I think Enphase might be up, too, because of the the inflation and in, um, yeah. in, in a lot of costs in that space too. Yeah, and, and well, I thought you were going the direction of Inflation Reduction Act, because that's a huge part too. There's a huge tax credits involved with that. And now 
I'll, I'll conclude with this. These tax credits give a huge tailwind because they're allowing tax credits for only for standalone energy storage projects. Before it was, you would have to have solar and energy storage, but now just energy storage qualifies for some pretty uh, needle moving uh, tax advantages. So that's the end of my skill, but, uh, but STEM and I think, you know, renewable energy and energy storage is still gonna be the way to go. What does STEM do on the news? On the news? Did you, did you the Inflation Reduction Act? Uh, yeah. They're, they're... I didn't see, but I don't, I don't remember the reaction to their, their quarterly earnings. Let's see. Let's see. In the last week, it's up 5%. Okay, not a big deal. Not to brag, the last, gentlemen. Oh, the last month, they're up 100%. Whew. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I only own one energy stock, and it's Enphase. And so I have been fully aware that Enphase has done amazing. And i mm. not in the energy space. I just have heard a lot of good things about Enphase. They grow really steadily. They have nice nice uh, cash from operations and stuff like that. And I believe in the... the um, you know, the, the trend from for, uh, for, for solar and things like that. But one of the concerns that I have with SPACs is that, yes, they might be trading at cash, um, but if they're burning cash, that doesn't necessarily mean a lot because in, you know, six months and a year from now, they will have less cash. And so they'll be trading, if they're, you know, continue to trade at cash, the stock's still getting pummeled. So, I mean, is, is that mm-hmm. something you're factoring in or is in, in STEM's case, are they cash flow positive or anything like that? Uh, for sure, for sure. I was more thinking of the route of you know spec pre-acquisition when they're just kind of a thing uh, gotcha. and they're not they're not burning cash and looking into them as an investment from that point of view. Mm. Uh, like I said, I've heard some some really people that I would think of as, as smart money for sure uh, talk about specs in that way. It's kind of an arbitrage, interesting play. Yeah, I saw I, I saw today. I was reading an article and it was referencing. Um, Chamath and his uh, his tweet last year that referenced um, Jay Z's quote from one of his songs where I'm not a businessman I'm a business comma man <laughs> and then he 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 under he, he included the picture of all of his returns from all of his specs and now pretty much every single one of those is negative from oh, yeah. that territory oh Chamath. <laughs> what, a, what a story that nobody talks about anymore. My God, Chamath used to be like the biggest thing in Fintwit, and now you don't yeah. hear anything about him. He was the or... biggest thing in finance. Like, yeah, yeah, honestly, and now he's just gone. Where did he go? I don't know. I don't. I don't know where he, where he's gone. But he, um, yeah, he maybe hasn't been, hasn't been doing too well. Maybe he's under the radar investing with uh, with uh, Newman in his new real estate thing with with Andy's and Horowitz. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's just under the radar over there. I included that in the doc. <laughs> it wasn't one thing that I was like guaranteed going to get to. Um, but anyways, this is the news of the week right here. So if any of you have watched We Crashed, which is a show that I recommended all of our listeners watch because it's phenomenal. I recommended that you two guys watch it. I don't still know haven't watched did. it. No, still haven't watched it's it. It's phenomenal. That, get Apple. I, I watched the first episode with Zane. Yeah, yeah. I watched the first episode. <laughs> did you ever? Did you ever actually continue? No. I mean, it was interest. It was definitely interesting, and I want to. But then I gotta get. I gotta sign up for another thing, man. Get it on Netflix. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that five dollars a month is gonna kill you. It is. Um, it is. <laughs> but anyways. So Adam Newman came out this week. Well, this is, he had a giant investment in one of his companies or his project called Flow. Um, And Flow got a, 
it was what? It was valued at over a billion dollars, according to Andreessen Horowitz's $350 million investment into the company. So it's, I'm, I'm reading some of this as I'm thinking about it. The largest individual check Andreessen Horowitz has ever written in a round of funding to a company. It values flow at more than a billion dollars. Oh, my word. So I, I, I read this article. I think it was from, from Bloomberg or something like that. I, yep. I, I, I read this article. The entire way, couldn't really figure out what flow even does. They're no. disrupting this... the housing market by, what, like buying rentals and just renting out homes? Is, is that what it was? Like, I honestly didn't understand what flow even did. So let me, so it's an idea. hold on, hold on, hold on. This, this correlates perfectly. There is a quote from another opinion article from Bloomberg that says, this, this is what it says, explaining why creating an intangible crypto asset out of an already intangible carbon asset will incentivize climate positive behaviors, as Andreessen Horowitz put it when announcing its investment in flow carbon. It's starting to sound as confusing as Newman's famous description of the <laughs> Wii brand as elevating the world's consciousness. And I'm like, that's perfect. That's perfectly put <laughs> because it's two companies. You don't know what the mission of the companies are, but they're just taking in billions of dollars, millions in Flo's case. It's an idea that's now a unicorn. Yes. Jeez. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, and it, it hasn't, even, it hasn't even launched yet. It's, it's launching in, what, 2023? A billion-dollar idea launching in 2023 by, New, by Adam Newman. Who, who is valuing that at $1 billion, aside from Andreessen? Aye, aye, aye. And nobody, nobody can lose money like Adam Newman, and he's <laughs> collecting all of it still. And I'm just like, I, I, I really am baffled by it because it's, it's purely speculative. You know, there's no cash flow from this business. This is just an idea. And I'm just surprised that this would be something that Andreessen Horowitz would, would get into. Um, it doesn't really seem like their MO. This, this is kind of kind of a 180. But you, I, I do want to talk about this because your little promo uh, sparked my interest. Michael Burry dumped almost everything. Did he sell at yes. the bottom? Did he, did yeah. he sell at the bottom? So he sold at the bottom. Or at the not bottom. surprised. I'm not surprised. All right. I just wanted to, I he's, guess. He's from... always more bearish than everybody else. Yeah. So Michael Burry came out this week. For those that don't know, this is the famous guy shorted the market in, in 2008. And, um, and shorted the housing market. Always so, has a doomsday prophecy. Yeah. Just just a, a perma bear. Mm-hmm. He's never positive about anything. No. He's never positive. I, I wish there was a way to look at his his returns over the last <laughs> decade. Cause I don't think that, I mean, maybe you can, maybe you, I'm sure you can actually, um, if he's filing 13 F's, I'm, I'm sure that you, you can go and check out those returns, but I haven't looked at them. Um, but yeah, he's always coming out and saying, we're going into a recession because of X, Y, or Z in the next year. And you know, he, he, I, I, he predicts a thousand recessions in five years time. So Anyways, not surprised, but he dumped all of his stock aside from some private prison investment company. Uh, so that was big news, I guess. News that surprised probably nobody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jamie, do you um, want to get to your... Uh, yeah, your talk C Limited Earnings. Yeah, I think, so, that, I think that's a company that a lot of people listening follow. So. Yeah, so... Uh, 
one of my gripes with with WeWork was its community adjusted EBITDA. Do you get, do did you guys remember know yes. about that metric that WeWork yes. used? So they're just some random figure that they made up to say, hey, on a community adjusted EBITDA basis, we're profitable. Nice. C limited kind of gives took out all expenses. Com- community exactly. adjusted EBITDA just took out all expenses. Yeah. Exactly. Now, I'm not saying C-Limited's a fraud, but they also have an adjusted EBITDA excluding headquarters expenses, which is basically just all G&A expenses and stock-based compensation, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, subtract that away from EBITDA and then adjust it a little more. And so they they have that to basically masquerade the fact that they're burning tons of cash on an adjusted EBITDA basis. This quarter they lost over um, over over five hundred million dollars, if I'm not mistaken. And on a gap net loss basis, they lost um, nine hundred and thirty million dollars. That is an insane amount. That is um, more than gross profit. Actually, nope, I lied. They generated one point one billion in gross profit in the quarter. So their net loss almost surpasses their gross profit, which is not a great thing to see. And what's really concerning is that these losses are accelerating pretty substantially. They were adjusted EBITDA profitable in the year ago period. Now they're burning uh, 500, over 500 million in adjusted EBITDA. Um, and honestly, I don't even know how you can burn that much in adjusted EBITDA. I mean, having EBITDA is already a, you know, a, der- a derivation of net loss, and then you're adjusting it somehow. Um, that's, I mean... That's not a good thing to see, but if there's one e-commerce slash fintech slash gaming company that has the cash to do it, it's C-Limited. So they had $7.8 billion in cash and in, in, uh, securities on the balance sheet, and that's not including $1.3 billion in short-term uh, short-term assets or short-term investments that they have on the balance sheet right now. So you know, if, if, if you're rounding up really $9 billion in cash, no debt. So they they can afford to lose uh, to you know burn cash hand over fist, but the fact that they're doing it at an accelerating rate and that was kind of the the main low light of this quarter. Shares fell uh, like fifteen percent or something. That was the main low light uh, of this quarter, and that's really concerning. I, I say that as a as a shareholder of C Limited. If there's one company that I'm okay with doing it, it it's C Limited because of that just robust balance sheet and and that huge cash position. But it's concerning to see uh, you know. They're generating billions in quarterly revenue, yet they're still burning this much cash, and it's going the wrong way. They're not, you know, even uh, going towards profitability right now. It seems like they'll just account the troubles away. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's I, the thing that concerns I, me. Well, C C Limited is a company that's really like. I know optionality is way over-promoted and way over-talked about these days, but when you think of a company with a lot of optionality, C-Limited is that company. Um, it's a global company. It's in a lot of different markets. It's in a lot of hot, exciting markets as well, like gaming and fintech and e-commerce, and you know that's those are all really hot markets right now. But it's much better to see that with a strong balance sheet than to see that with a Eh, and a decent balance sheet because a strong balance sheet can allow them to figure out all of these different avenues that they're collecting revenue from gaming, e-commerce, fintech, you know, like it, it allows them more time to figure this stuff out, which I think is important. I do think it's important to build, you know, a strong core business. And so it allows them time to, to continue to build that as well. And you know, is their core business gaming, Jamie? So what, 
it's funny because it was, but then gaming has basically fallen off a cliff. They they rode the okay. tailwinds of a really popular game called Free Fire. It was a mobile, um, you know, uh, Fortnite esque type of game that saw really huge popularity in 2021. But it's basically fallen off a cliff now. Um, and considering gaming is their only cash cow out of their fintech, e-commerce, and gaming revenue segments. The fact that gaming revenue has just declined year over year pretty substantially, their adjusted EBITDA from that segment basically got cut in half on a year over year basis this quarter. So that's the main contributor. Uh, the fact that e-commerce and digital financial services, their their fintech segment, um, are still unprofitable on an adjusted EBITDA basis, and their only cash cow just got cut in half um, in, in terms of adjusted EBITDA. That's why they're declining so fast now. E-commerce and fintech revenue, unit economics and adjusted EBITDA, they're improving um, year over year. They're, I mean, they're getting less bad, basically, um, but they're still in negative territory and considering they're, you know, losing their main cash generating asset very, very quickly right now. Um, you know, that that's not turning into a great uh, bottom line. Yeah, it's so funny how investors' minds change so quickly from last year to this year. Last year is all about growth. This year, it's all about cash flow. If the main contributor to, to if your cash cow, if that segment of your business is is starting to fall, investors are going to punish that company, and they punished it today down around fifteen percent. Mm-hmm. Another company that's losing money hand over fist um, that was up big up big today. So on the contrary, uh, Fubo TV company we've talked about <laughs> a lot on this on on this show. It was up forty percent today. As and much as 70% if, at one point, too. Yeah, I, I don't know if this has anything to do with the Bed Bath & Beyond um, stock pump that happened today with the meme stocks. That may, I think that, that definitely contributed to some of this. But a, what potentially could have got this, this rally started was that there's a lot of anticipation for their investor day. Uh, I think this is happening tomorrow. So when this episode comes out on Thursday, this will have happened yesterday. Um, but their investor day comes out this week. I'm not sure if it's tomorrow or, or when it is, but it's coming up soon. And there's the management team is supposed to focus more heavily on cutting costs to reach positive free cash flow. And that got investors really excited, apparently. But I laugh. I laugh <laughs> when I look at their balance sheet and how much money their their free cash flow burn. $340 million in the last 12 months. Cash, $370 million on their balance sheet. I don't know what costs they're planning to cut, but it's got to be all of them. <laughs> they, they have, they have all, you know, one year of cash left. We were, we were talking about huh. this um, just, a, just a few weeks ago when they reported earnings. Just their, ca- their balance sheet is scary. They don't have you know more than two years of cash left on the balance sheet, and they're, they're not expecting to generate positive free cash flow by, I think it's 2025. So they're continuing to burn cash, uh, you know, at a at a fast rate. They don't have the cash to back, to back that up. So, like, I mean, like you said, if they're looking to cut costs, it basically has to be everything, and just you know, let's just complete grow one hundred percent organically some somehow. Um, but you know, I don't know how they're going to do that. They're going to have to hire. Uh, they're going to have to hire C Limited's accountants. Just adjust it. <laughs> Just adjust. Yeah, they, they need the community adjusting. But <laughs> that's for sure. Um, so uh, what else we got to talk about? We can Jamie, talk about some surprising, some surprising quarters. Yeah. Oh, Jamie, yeah. Let's. You got one. You wrote, yeah. you, wrote, wrote, you wrote a great article on this. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
I, I thought of this question because I saw Lemonade's report. Now, Lemonade has been a, uh, it's an insurance company that uses AI. They've just had an atrocious past year. Their gross loss ratio, um, which basically is the percentage of, of uh, premiums they pay out in claims, they're supposed to keep it under 75%, has just been sky high, above, uh, you know, above 80%. It was even above 90% the past few quarters. Um, and they're burning tons of cash. The balance sheet isn't pretty. So this was one on my chopping block, and if I'm being honest, I was looking for an excuse to sell this company this quarter. Um, but it was just a really good quarter. Their net, their gross loss ratio declined. Their cash flows uh, are, are looking on the up and up. They basically said that this quarter is going to be the worst of the worst, and it's going to start to improve from here. They're expecting their cash on their balance sheet to um, to to in basically last them until they reach profitability, which is really impressive. So they won't have to raise um, at, at all in the future. And so this just completely blew away what I was expecting for the quarter. I was expecting a bad quarter. They came out with a really good quarter. And so I was just curious, uh, you know, for you guys, what company just did the exact opposite of what you thought, um, you know, as, as we're kind of on the back end of earnings season, what company just completely surprised you either in a really good way or in a really bad way, this, this earnings season, just posting numbers that you did not expect in a million years. I want to hit on one thing before we move on from lemonade. Mm. Um, and that specifically is their acquisition of Metro mile, which completed in Q2 of this year. And Gross loss ratios for car insurance companies typically are are better than rental insurance than I, I don't know about pet insurance, but all the other insurance that Lemonade um, is in. Car insurance typically has a lot better gross loss ratios, and so I think we're going to continue to see that number get better and better um, the more of a role car insurance plays in in Lemonade. But Zane, did you have a company that surprised you? Sorry, or do you have something else to add? To I just yeah, have Jamie. one quick. One quick thing to add on that Metro Mile deal, I believe they bought it for $145 million in stock, and then in exchange, they got um, $155 million in cash, plus a whole bunch more. So they paid less in stock than they received in cash for that transaction. So basically, they they gave a, they issued a bunch of stock, they got all of it in cash, plus $10 million. It was just a that, that fabulous deal. The right, the best deal you could ever make for for lemonade. But anyway, sorry sorry to step on on your feed, saying. No, you're good, Connor. Do you want to talk about yours? Yeah. Um, well, okay. So I sort of expected this, but not to this extent. Uh, Coinbase had an absolutely atrocious quarter. They lost like over a billion dollars. Um, revenue came around. Wall Street expectations, but in terms of the bottom line, it was just absolutely atrocious. They lost $5 a share, um, you know, a billion dollars in total. It just, ter just terrible. And I think there's, we put out content in the past about Coinbase's valuation last year. Coinbase was valued at 15 times earnings. Pre-cash flow is up 200% or whatever it was, you know, income's up 700% in the last few years or whatever that number was. But I mean, it was ridiculous numbers for how fast this company was growing, yet their valuation was 15 times earnings or, you know, whatever that valuation was. It was around, it was under 20. Their valuation was under 20 and it just made zero sense to me. And that shows you stocks are forward looking. And apparently the stock market knew what was coming a lot better than I did. 
Yeah, Coinbase so, yeah. got absolutely crushed. But that's because their activity basically on their platform got cut in half. I mean, they went from having tons of profitability and having a lot of uh, huge net income, more free cash flow than they were generating in revenue, to having a quarterly net loss of $1.1 billion. That was more than their, what, $800 million in revenue they generated this quarter. So just literally a complete just flip on its head from, uh, you know, a great performance yeah. to atrocious. Yeah, I I agree. The thing that was super surprising to me about the quarter is I was under the impression that volatility was really good for Coinbase. And, you know, even if, if crypto is going down, there's going to be enough trading revenue and trading fees to kind of boost the revenue and keep keep the earnings high. But it, it seemed that that idea was completely disproven this quarter. Well, yeah, so, so it's, totally it's vol it volatility and like activity trading, buying and selling is, is good for them. But when once, you know, in a crash, like we're seeing right now, all the selling that they see, you know, on the way down, that's good. But then once we're, you know, near the bottom, like we are, nobody's buying and selling crypto. Everybody thinks it's, it's dead. And so Coinbase is just left to flounder. That's, that's how, you know, they kind of got, um, yeah, by this. Yeah, that could totally be the case. Uh, for, from my, you know, surprising quarter, I'll try to keep it quick, but I, I looked at Twitter briefly um, and, you know, it's not a business that I own, not really interested in owning uh, because of so many problems that are being exposed recently uh, in the business. Plus, they've never really been able to uh, to perform how investors want and they've kind of been stagnant, um, but th their costs were just it basically, basically, what surprised me is how much their costs increased. Their, their revenue is pretty flat, nothing crazy, but costs and expenses up 31% year over year. Um, the acquisition costs were about 33 million in Q2 alone because of the pending acquisition by Elon. We'll see what happens with that. And then severance-related costs of approximately 19 million in Q2 alone. So the thing is, and here we go. Operating loss was a negative 29% operating margin. Uh, it was 30, 344 million. So like they're just spending, it seems like they're laying so many people off, um, paying a ton of severance costs. Um, I don't, I don't know like who they hired to be their lawyer, but they're also pe paying a ton of money, uh, for this acquisition that may or may not go through. Uh, I don't know. I feel like what's in their best interest now is to do the deal at a bit of a discount and just, just get it over with, but we'll see. Twitter's the worst business I've ever seen. But it's Actually, such a good platform for some things. Like the product Snapchat. is... The product you're right, is, Jimmy. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Thank you. They have, they, have more, <laughs> they have more MAUs and less average revenue per user, or more average users and less um, revenue. So Snapchat is, is, the only, is the only advertising platform worse than, uh, <laughs> than Twitter. They win the prize. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Well, I think that finishes everything up today. So thank you all for sticking around and listening to this episode of Intern Investing. Again, I'm Connor with Jamie and Zane. We say thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.